Alright, this is Ricky. And this is Brendan. And you're listening to A Gentleman's Disagreement. What I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. Folks of different minds because even though it did not share the pains we share, that American ideal friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz. Need an early morning buzz. You kick it off, as always. That's so true. And we're here on a lovely Saturday afternoon, evening before uh, Super Bowl Sunday. Afternoon? What did you wake up? <laughs> you know, it all blends together. Really. Okay. <laughs> 8.30 on the yeah. dot. And uh, back for another edition of our, uh, of our famous draft. Kelly, what are we talking about this year? All right, so last year, for the longtime listeners out there, last year at this time over President's Day weekend, we had a snake draft of, of the presidents. And we had our good friends, Dan Gonzalez and Joe Webster, on the podcast. And it was a blast. I think, Ricky, both of us agreed that it was one of, if not our, like most favorite episode to record and one of our most popular episodes that people gave us like, great feedback on. So... In the spirit of like wanting to do that same thing again this year, I was trying to think of like what what could we do, and ended up coming on settling on the idea of the most influential twentieth century Americans. And there was a lot of conversation and discussion and uh, contra- controversy and dissension over like what the rules were going to be uh, for this. <laughs> Our friend Joe threatened to boycott the podcast over a a change in rules, but we eventually all settled on the rules, and essentially what the rules are is that this person, one, had to be an American and had to have their... had to be influential in the 20th century. So could they have been born in the 19th century? Sure. Could they have been born in another country and then become an American? Sure. Could they still be alive through the 21st century? Sure. But their main contributions and influence in the United States came in the 20th century. So that's the parameters. They are super big, and I think that's going to be one of the more interesting things this year, where last year we had like a a finite universe of people that we're all choosing from, but this year it really, I mean, there were hundreds of people that you could have considered, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see what people valued in in terms of like who, who, what, what, what influential means to the four of us. Well, we know that Joe is hoping that influential doesn't mean the same to everybody. Joe made an income with 16 people, so we're hoping there's not too much overlap. I took a bit of a gamble. <laughs> we're hoping your interpretation your interpretation is a little different from Joe. Rick, Rick, Ricky, Ricky famously came with fewer than 16 presidents last year. In the third round, he ran out of people. <laughs> there is an endless amount of people, so you can do some quick work if you need to today. So. <laughs> Joe of all of us started out as the most prepared and yet seems to have arrived on draft day with the least no, I, was, I, was, I was very strategic took some uh, some A rank candidates and then I threw in some uh, dark horse maybe equally important but maybe lesser known people threw them in the mix made sure that there's no way anyone else is going to choose them we'll see if that holds true or not that might that gamble might not pay off, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. All right, well, let's go. Let's go around and talk about like criteria, like in terms of what are some things you valued as you guys were putting together your list. Rick, why don't we start with you? We can go clockwise here. Yeah, and I'm, I'm definitely interested to see how other people went about this. I kind of divided like what I thought of as influential into different spheres. So I looked at um, civil rights because we had come up with this 
after uh, Martin Luther King Day. But then I also looked at sort of sort of landmark legal cases or uh, courts and things like that, and then went to um, more. I think I don't know if mainstream is the right word, but I went with like so that's kind of my trying not to give too much away here. Yeah, but yeah. How I sort of divided it, and I was thinking if I wanted a Mount Rushmore of non-presidents, that I would want to see like a variety of influences in along different sort of cross sections of of American life. So that was kind of my. Plan strategy, here. yeah, because you know the vote after I got slaughtered on the last time, <laughs> dead last, I might have not even like I might have not even made, got enough votes to qualify for the running there. So that's that's what I'm going. I'm going for a broad appeal. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, Joe, what were your thinking? Sure. So I had two main criteria, and. Uh, I thought he said too many for a second. Yeah. Like, too many criteria. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what you said. Wait, what you, I, that's, that, that's what you said as well. Two, two main criteria. For, oh, two main. Two main criteria for what for what qualifies as okay. a person of influence or yeah, yeah. Historical, historical importance. So those, those two are a person whose achievements were, one, had a significant and positive impact in American society in the moment, but also, two, mm. wow. if the person had an impact far beyond the exact moment of achievement. So I'm talking like, Ripple effects, legacy, second order effects. So not only did yeah. you know, did they like make a difference in the moment, but God, that's so much better like, than for years or like decades yeah. down the road, yeah, yeah, yeah. are are their achievements still felt? You know, still discussed, still revered, etc. So that second criteria wasn't a requirement. But I think for me, it made a stronger case for why that person yeah. should be included in a list of That's the foundation for like a good book here. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> so for stuff. people that don't, we, I should have introduced this more. So um, me, Ricky, Dan, and Joe all went to high school together here in Boston and have been friends now for 15, 20, wow. 20 years. I guess we became friends later than I thought. <laughs> um, I thought we were friends <laughs> for uh, one more years than that. Uh, to make it clear. Yeah. <laughs> But okay, continue. So yeah, for a different year, so yeah. But so we've been we've been friends for a really long time, and we yeah. were really thankful they came together with us uh, last night. But anyway, that's all to say that what I Joe's been. We know that Joe has done probably the most research. Joe or Dan, like certainly, they're probably more prepared than Ricky and I. We're probably gonna get embarrassed again. Uh, but. I texted Ricky, like, Joe's really working hard at this. And Ricky was like, I don't think you worked this hard at RL. <laughs> <laughs> the work ethic came in later in life. <laughs> Unfortunately, For a lot of late, late boomer. Late yeah, boomer. Yeah. A decade too late. All right, so I I started, uh, my first thought process was to just write down a bunch of names that, like, first people that came to my head as, like, influential people from the 20th century. And I, I came up with a list. And then I was kind of, like, going around a little bit, and I found a list. In 1999, Life and Time magazine came out with a list of their 100 most influential. So I was like, all right, I think that's probably, <laughs> these people thought about this more than me. I'm going to start with this 100, and I'm going to work my way down. And so I, I, so I kind of cut, 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 cut. And then once you start getting into, like, the 30, 35, then it was like, all right, now I'm going to kind of really look into all of these people and see, like, some of these names, I know exactly who they are and what they did. And some of them I, I maybe have heard of, but I want to kind of look into them a little bit more. So that's how I came up with my, my final list. Dan? Nice. Uh, so I ultimately got to the same place as you, but when I first started out, I kind of, like, tried to, like, drop in, like, a few buckets, not as well articulated as Joe, because... That sounded really good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mine was much more just basic, and I was like, 
I'm going to have like a public policy government law bucket. Then I'm going to have like a sports kind of bucket. And then I'm going to go into like a general culture, um, like a culture bucket or like um, kind of just like, yeah, more like mainstream, like you were talking about, regular people who are like maybe just affected just like how we live our like, you know, day-to-day lives, not necessarily in those first couple buckets. So I kind of start off that way and then kind of like, you know, going online, doing my research, I stumbled upon some of those similar lists that you, that you were looking at, like time person of the year, things like that. Um, and kind of like try to keep the same buckets I had in the beginning. I kind of wanted my list to be diversified in that way. I wanted to kind of have a few people in each of those buckets and ultimately got like a lot more in one particular bucket. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's kind of like where my research started and ended. So, yeah. All right, uh, let's get into it. We are going to do a live uh, picking of draft order. Uh, we have four cards here, ace, two, three, four, and we're just going to go around and Dan, as always, going to deal them, uh, and we'll kind of see where we end up, and that'll decide the draft order. All right, yeah, ace is first, so we'll go Ricky is third, Joe's first, BK second. Four and fourth. Okay. Right. So again, the order is Joe, Brendan, Ricky, and Dan. That will be the order. Um, as Joe kind of considers his first pick, we just want to remind everyone that Ricky infamously chose <laughs> James Madison first in, in the draft. <laughs> and then I don't know if you two know this. Then that when he when we produced the episode, the pick was mysteriously cut out from the episode. And that's what we had to produce. Yeah, Ricky produced yeah. it. Cut, cut, Shock, shocking. Cut. cut the pick out and it started with the number two pick we had to release it twice it sounds like an yeah. honest mistake yeah. to me yeah exactly <laughs> yes. also just uh, while Joe's formulating his first pick I think that's what you get editor's privilege yeah exactly I, think, I was listening to it I was like where did that's the best part of the episode where did it go I had the uh, best Mount Rushmore based off um Instagram votes, from what I recall. Oh, that's definitely true. But again, like if we look at our Instagram, I mean, so just Dan's pick, he had F, he had Lincoln, which is a great pick who shouldn't have been available with the third pick. But when people pass on Lincoln and Washington with the first pick, then that's what happens. Um, and then he had FDR, Obama, and Clinton. So if you look at the the liberal leanings of our our, our followers, that doesn't surprise people. I'm just saying. I, I have, <laughs> I'm just saying that I have a um, a, uh, if, a crown. Yeah, okay. Or a belt sure. to defend. Sure. Sure. So, sure. Yeah. We'll say that Dan, Dan is the people's champion at this Yeah, point. exactly. Okay. So, I'm the rock. Yeah. <laughs> the rock. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I've got my first. Uh, it was Joe, pretty, you're on pretty, easy, pretty yeah. easy choice for me. I was mentioning earlier that... Um, easy choice. For, for each of these people, I, I wrote my notes and then went back and tried to, you know, make the notes as succinct as possible, move, remove the fluff. Uh... For this one, it's kind of difficult to do that, but my first choice is going to be Martin Luther King Jr. Okay. Yeah. That's um, a respectable first pick. <laughs> so uh, Could also let's that. Just, yeah. just run through the man's history. So uh, MLK Jr. was an American Baptist minister and activist who became the most visible spokesman and leader in the American Civil Rights Movement from 1955 until his assassination in 1968. He advanced civil rights through nonviolence and civil disobedience, as well as participated in and led nonviolent marches for the right to vote desegregation, labor rights, and other civil rights. Uh, he got his, his real first start in 1955 when he oversaw the Montgomery bus boycott. Um, and around the same time, he later became president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the SCLC. And this was an African-American civil rights organization based in Atlanta, Georgia. 
As the president of this organization, he helped organize a number of protests and events, uh, most notably including the Birmingham campaign in 1963, which included marches, sit-ins, and um, uh, other, uh, yeah, marches and sit-ins and, uh, my notes here don't make sense, but marches and sit-ins. Uh, March on Washington in 1963, some voting rights movement in 1965, and so in th- Ultimately, through his efforts, MLK was largely responsible for pushing through one of the most significant pieces of legislation in American history, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which ended segregation in public places and banned unemployment discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. It it also banned private businesses that served the public from discrimination. One of the other victories that MLK played a significant role in, in achieving was the Voting Rights Act of 1965, a law which aimed to overcome legal barriers at the state and local levels that prevents African-Americans from exercising their right to vote as guaranteed under the 15th Amendment to the U.S. I have, um, I have some additional comments that I'm actually going to leave for uh, closing uh, closing comments. But um, Can you remind me, so like your, your two criteria in the beginning? Yes. Was it the first one? Was it like something in your lifetime? No, it's like influential in the moment. Yeah. Okay, like so would you, like, would you say this, you know, this pick... Is like both, so probably both or no, or like so where they fall in the bucket view, probably both, right? I mean, yeah, no, I'd say I'd say MLK definitely um, takes both of those those uh, those criteria. So you know, in the moment, you know, landmark legislation, um, you know, affects a a large swath of the population. Um, You know, not just African Americans, but um, you know, people of all um, you know backgrounds, ethnicities, origins, etc. Um, and, you know, you know, these are, uh, you know, these are rights that we take for granted today. You know, you know, you know, the laws are still in the books and they still affect, they still affect, you know, everyone in the United States. So, I mean, I think, uh, the influence made a big impact then and still holds till today. Yeah. Where, I'd be curious, like, where'd you guys have him? I mean, had I had number one pick this year, I would have gone in that, in that, in that direction as as well, um, I think you know a couple things in just in terms of kind of broad recognition. Right, he won the Nobel Peace Prize after um, after 1963. Martin Luther King's like he's the only non-president that we have of the last like I mean I guess Columbus Day also, but a holiday that we celebrate for his impact yeah. on America. I think I think one of the interesting things about Martin Luther King is that today it's almost it's like it's universal that we recognize what he was doing and sort of the cause that he was fighting for and how positively it benefit it benefited American society but when he was there i mean even like obviously you have like the Ku Klux Klan but even sort of more like more moderate people were afraid that he was kind of like messing with the fabric of American identity in the 60s, right? And so now that we look back at what he was doing and, we, you know, it's it's part of our progression as a country, but for people who lived in his time, he didn't have that same universal recognition. But some of the things that he, like, said, he's one of the most quotable people, I think, ever. And so I, I like I'll, I'll drop one in there that I like, um, that I think everyone will know the beginning of at least injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere 
we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. So it's kind of getting at what you were saying. Like it had an impact in the moment, but in the way that we think of all of these things connected, Mm -hmm. it's just continued to reverberate. Um, And I think it's also kind of important to note that even in his time, he wasn't kind of the only direction that the civil rights movement was moving in. Integration was not universally accepted, um, obviously not within the white community, but also not within the black community. So there were like a lot of different ways this could have gone. And his influence, I think you could argue has, a. I mean, I think is inarguably one of the biggest impacts in just sort of the direction of where we've gone. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah, so no. Where, where should I have him? Like, would you have taken where? Uh, if I, have, if he would have been my first pick, okay, um, interesting. But I kind of knew that he was going to be a top pick for everybody in this group here because we're all reasonable so you, pe- you, people. You more about your <laughs> second pick, so so I had I had him early, but I was like, all right, if I'm going to be picking third or fourth, he's not going to be available. Uh, so I uh, my cliff notes were, were shorter, you know, because yeah. I was like, all right, if I don't get the first or second pick, I mean, he's probably going to be off the board. Have so. you guys been to the MLK like Memorial of the Monument in DC? Uh, this is a long time ago. Yeah, but this yes. is, no, it, so it, yeah. it was just came out in, or it was just built in 2011. Uh, oh, never mind. No, that, no, it's no. Uh, it's really really cool, and would certainly encourage anybody down in DC. So it's a big statue of him. It's like it's like carved out of stone. This huge stone statue of like him like standing. But then Ricky, to your point of like having so many great quotes, there's just a wall, and on every kind of block is like an excerpt from like his different quotes. And it's like it's incredible. Like, I'm getting chills even just thinking about it. So like if anybody, if you guys are in DC or anybody, mm-hmm. like it, it's worth going. It's a little off the beaten path a little bit. Like. Because, I mean, the Monument Plaza is, like, full. You know, so you have to walk a little bit for, like, new monuments. But, like, it's it's well worth the walk. It's right on the water. Like, it's across from, like, the Jefferson Memorial um, on the water. And it just is all – you just – you look at, like, any one of these quotes would be, like, like – would be incredible. And he he's a guy that we could fill a whole, like, monument park up with them. Um, so, yeah, I think, Joe, that's a, that's a great pick. I mean, it's funny that I also thought, like, oh, I mean, I went to Washington, D.C. Obviously, I've been there. Yeah, I was like, last time I was in D.C. was, like, 15 years ago. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I hit all the main spots. Yeah, so I was probably there. there. And well, yeah, that's but funny that it wasn't it's, until Yeah, it's newer. Because I used to take my 8th graders there, and oh, like, yeah. that's okay. why we used to go. And I was, I was, like, blown away by it. Yeah, it's really cool. Huh. Joe, did you have any of the closing marks that you wanted to add for MLK? Oh, no, I'm going to save it for the very, very end. Oh, oh <laughs> interesting. I've okay. got some... Nice. Uh, some I've, yeah, I got some final closing comments that I'd like to bring up. Well, I mean, this podcast was supposed to be on MLK Weekend, but <laughs> I was ready for it, and um, the rest of the group here uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, hadn't done the research yet, so we had to push it. So, then, you know, the pick would have been perfect on MLK Weekend. That's exactly how it happened. But, but unfortunately, that couldn't happen. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got one piece of Martin Luther King. Junior trivia uh, for the folks at the table. Do you know what his name was at birth? And no. Or no. why his name is Martin Luther? I'm not sure if I saw on the Wikipedia page that I was looking at. I'm not sure if that was ah, front, see, front and center. Right. So. I, I don't go through many, but I go, you know, I, get, I go through <laughs> So I'll go Martin Luther is because that's the man that started the Protestant Reformation. Mm-hmm. I got that. Yes. Okay, but that, I know that wasn't what was his original name. So was he was he was just Michael King Jr. Michael King. And yeah, his yeah, yeah. his okay. father like went to Germany and yeah. sort of learned about Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation. And he tacked it onto the door, Martin Martin Luther. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Which is, I mean, also just like oddly prophetic in in terms of 
Yeah. How oh, he kind therapy. of like yeah. does, you know. Yeah, exactly. upsetting the order of things yeah. and changing 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. the orthodoxy that existed, whether it was you know Catholic supremacy in Europe or white supremacy here in the United States. Right. Yeah, that, that's a cool connection. Yeah, cool. Um, all right, Kelly, you're on the clock. All right, um, I'm, I'm. I think MLK was a great first pick, but uh, I, this was the guy I had number one anyway. So I'm excited. Uh, I had Henry Ford. Henry Ford is the number one hit. <laughs> uh, so people probably know him best as the founder of Ford Motor Company, uh, and that's certainly significant. And, but I think maybe most importantly and most influential was that he was the developer of the assembly line technique of mass production. Um, I think he made driving cars a thing that became accessible to Americans in a way that it had not been before he came around. And if we look at like transportation in the 20th century, it's you know, driven, <laughs> pun not intended, but totally intended, by, uh, by the automobile, right? And it's, it's just something that, like, again, kind of what Joey was saying with the laws that we take for granted. Now, also, we just take that, like, everyone has, or the vast majority of people have access to cars now in a way that it just didn't exist 100 years ago before Henry Ford came around. Um, the Ford Model T is, like, kind of classically known as, as the car that, like, changed the industry, uh, the mass production. Like, the assembly line itself, like, it changed not only how cars were produced, but it traded they change like mass the production factory, and generally yeah. factories in general. And uh, while you know there ultimately were pros and cons of that at the time, like the efficiency of that process, he was also able to pay his workers like really high wages, and which has changed over time. But like at the, at the time, it was like kind of the best of both worlds. Like you pay his workers really high wages and also produce things like in a way more efficient, really safe way than it had before. Uh, also, in like in my research, stuff that I didn't know was that like. He was a pioneer of like the franchise system, and so like putting like four dealerships in different cities in a way that like hadn't really been done, kind of like as a national like brand before. Um, and so, yeah, if for me, it's like, when I was looking at it and ranking it, I, it felt to me like he was the most influential person on really on people from like almost every walk of life here in the United States for. You know, 85 years, and if we're thinking about like the long-lasting impact over the course of the 20th century, to me, he's the most influential. Yeah, like big ripple effect for Joe's criteria, definitely in terms of you know 70, 80 years down the line. You know, in mm-hmm. terms of uh, worker, you know, pay and efficiency, and how you know just mass production things like that. I mean, just um, his effect on just. I mean, it was just for him. It was just focused in the car industry mm-hmm. but then if you just look at how that affected every other industry um u.s or world you know worldwide i mean um yeah i mean huge ripple effect so yeah he was also a big although he was kind of anti-labor and labor unions he was a big proponent of the eight-hour workday, which i think there were some laws around it but it definitely wasn't commonplace especially not in the auto industry um in like the early 1900s when yeah, the Model T came yeah. out, which is which was huge, and and the the point about wages is definitely not a small one, especially as people kind of think about like automation and, and things like that. Because his argument for why I need to pay my employees high wages is that they're going to be my customers, yeah. they're going to buy yeah. this car, yeah, and so I'm just really expanding smart. my market right. by paying them more, and that's yeah. like and that's genius, and and of course, yeah, you talk about the ripple effects, like you couldn't. You know, you either had to live out in the country and be a farmer, or you lived in the city and worked in the city. Yeah. And now he's got this car that's accessible to anybody, and so you you basically have the suburban America that you have today because of Henry Ford. And so, yeah, I, I also would have had him 
very high on if if yeah if I didn't have Martin Luther King I wouldn't have yeah. yeah. so now I'm gonna well, get in trouble <laughs> things are gonna go bad for yeah. me uh, unless it's dwindling I quickly <laughs> though I will say in I feel like there's more pressure on those that first round of picks than any just other picks I, yeah I always screw it up I, I'll say that uh, <laughs> this is influential but influential in a negative way with that he was um, hugely anti-Semitic um, and he owned a, a newspaper called the Dearborn Independent I believe um, in which he published like pretty terrible anti-Semitic content in like the 1900s and while Nazi Germany is most famous for their anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism existed here in the United States, at least alongside with, if not kind of before Nazi Germany. And I think he was a big peddler of that. So, um, you know, that's one of those things where we talked offline before. We talked influence in good and bad ways. Like, obviously, all of those good ways that we just stated, but I, it would be remiss of me not to mention, like, the kind of negative aspects of his influence as well. Any final comments on Henry Ford? Not on Joe's list. He was on my list. Um, Gotta add one on that quickly. I, I actually I guess I'm a little surprised that he did go high, as high as he did. Um, You're not but, big, uh, you don't you don't drive too much. You're big on like the train. <laughs> Train, yeah, public transit. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's fair. You know. <laughs> All right, third pick goes to Ricky. All right, with the third pick, um, and as you guys have taken my the, the the top two choices that I had, so everybody stay with me here. I'm going to go with um, <laughs> as, I, as I think about this carefully, uh, Thomas Alva Edison. No uh, way, really. <laughs> go ahead go ahead yeah. really not all right well born born in february 11th 1847 died october 18th 1931 he was a prolific inventor known uh familiarly as the wizard of menlo park for his uh industrial laboratory in menlo park new jersey thomas edison beyond you know uh i think he first came to prominence with the invention of the phonograph which later you know, becomes the record player. And so if you think about music at all in the 20th century, you have to give some credit to Edison. Although, when was the photograph invented? Yeah, do you... It's 1877. <laughs> 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 yeah. I, I, I was like, why was he on my list? Because his, all of his inventions <laughs> were in the 1800s. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. That's what I was so upset about. <laughs> 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 but he died in 1931. He died no, in 1931. He was a lot. He's been in the 19th yeah. in the 20th century. <laughs> I mean, he was... Another controversial picker, <laughs> Ricky. He was an inventor throughout the course of okay. his life. Okay. Including... No, he peaked. <laughs> he peaked in the 19th century. Yes. Let, make, let yes. the man make his argument. Well, including the... All right. So, forgetting... If we leave the phonograph out... <laughs> Uh, Edison and all right. Well, the electric he's gonna go with the electric light. light Eighteen seventy-eight. <laughs> but even even then, he was the creator of sort of the distributed, uh, sorry, distributed electric utility, which basically allowed for the creation of sort of the modern city, right? An, an electrified city, and so I don't think you can overstate in in the late part of the 19th century or the early part of the 20th century, what he was doing. Um, that, 
Yeah, I mean, well, all right. So if I if we want to take him off the board, no, 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 no. the pick is me. You're making another pick. But you know, my this is like not on topic particularly, but like my my memory of Edison, not memory of Edison, but one of the first things that pops my mind about Edison is a family like Family Guy clip when Edison's the only one with the light bulb. Have you guys seen that clip? Uh, And everyone's yelling at him, and he's like, "Oh, what?" You don't have light over there? Oh, is my light is my house too bright for you over there? <laughs> I don't even know what TV is. Yeah. Well, that, was, that was that was a big problem of his type of electricity. The direct current had to be like within a mile or so of any power station that he made because it couldn't couldn't transmit it very far. But beyond just being a prolific inventor, because he did kind of like take liberties in terms of whose other inventions he was improving on or whatever yeah. he was he was also like one of those original like marketers on top of being one of the few people to create a laboratory just specifically for the purpose of like inventing new stuff or improving upon stuff that kind of existed but didn't yeah. really work very well um and yeah and like he had some sort of you know famous rivalries but if you look across the United States right now like a, a huge handful of the biggest utilities still have his name. Yeah. So Con Ed in New York is in Commonwealth Edison in Chicago. You have Southern California Edison in California. Like in all of the biggest cities, his name is still there. So if I think of somebody who's had a huge impact on the 20th century, you could argue that his impact was most greatly felt in the 20th century when his technology started sure. to proliferate. Sure. Then I'm going with. Tom says. Sure. I have nothing else to say. <laughs> I mean, I can't argue with the impact on the world, yeah. but timing-wise. Right, so you're arguing with his eligibility. <laughs> I think that's fair. But otherwise, I think... But in other my defense, event, I just said the guy had to be alive yeah, yeah, yeah. from no, 1900 that... to 1999. Sure. Somebody else added on right before we started talking. <laughs> the impact had to have been created in the, in the 20th century. Sure. Which okay. I don't know that I ever subscribed to that. Great. Fair enough. All right, let's go to the fourth. <laughs> <laughs> right, so I, I have the fourth and fifth. Pick, let's right? move on. Yeah, fourth, Dan, Dan's got four. Back to back. Fourth and back to back. It's a good spot to be in. Uh, it's in good and bad. I mean, yeah, good and bad. Yeah. I think. I think actually, in quick. a draft like this, I think it's good when there's so many people to choose from. I think it's harder when, like, in the presidential draft, I think it's harder when there are fewer people to choose from. Whatever that. Yeah. that might just be projecting. So for my fourth pick, I'm going to go with George Marshall. Mm. That is a great pick. I'm so, very disappointed. The only person I was worried about Damn. was BK here with that Damn. pick. So I wanted to get him off the board real quick. Enough. Wow. Touche, Dan. So, Tell him about George Marshall. So, the thing is, when I was going through my like my research for this, I was like, you know, I was looking at like the list, you know, time person of the year, and I obviously, like, we learned about George Marshall and like, whether it was elementary school or high school, but it's like somebody who I haven't hadn't entered into my mind in like 20 years probably. And then I was like looking into him. I was like, wow, okay. I remember this. Like I saw like the Marshall plan. I was like, that yeah. sounds familiar. Yeah. Let me read about that. And then a few things came back, but you know, not as much as I should have remembered, but um, just some, some details born in 1880 uh, died in 1959. So um, some accomplishments, some accomplishments were in the 20th, 20th century. Uh, but all right, So he was a chief of staff under FDR and Harry Truman. He was Secretary of State and Secretary of Defense under Truman. Um, served in a number of wars, the Philippines and American War. In World War I, he was um, 
first division staff. He assisted with like the organization and mobilization and training in the U.S. and planning combat operations in France. Um, as chief of staff, um, Marshall organized one of the largest military expansions in the U- in U.S. history. Um, he was time person of the year in 1943 and 1947. So, you know, controversially, so he was tasked with really growing the U.S. military during World War II. And while he did that, I mean, in terms of, like, some of the implications implications for that, um, you know, from what I read is that there was definitely some criticism of the way that he went about that because a lot of the, you know, troops that were sent out maybe were not trained properly and were kind of, like, thrown into combat without having, you know, the proper front-of-line training resulting in, you know, um, obviously a number of deaths and then, you know, obviously a lot of trauma after the war. So those are some criticisms of, like, you know, how he approached that. Um, but, yeah, during World War II, he was instrumental in preparing the U.S. Army and the Armed Forces for invasion in Europe. Um, and then the Marshall Plan. So, um, so, um, so, yeah, the Marshall Plan. I learned about this in high school, but it was a good refresher. Um, also known as the European Recovery Program. It was a U.S. program providing aid to Western Europe following World War II due to the impact that, you know, the war had on Europe. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, the economy in a lot of ways was was crippled and, and damaged and then also just, you know, like the country itself. Um, so, one second. So it was enacted in 1948. It provided more than $15 billion to help finance rebuilding efforts on the continent. Um, you know, there's... In terms of looking back on it, um, there is definitely some um, opinions, uh, you know, both ways in terms of what it achieved. Um, some people definitely credit it with helping Europe kind of progress after the war. And then, you know, there's definitely some critics, too, that argue that it um, contributed towards the beginning of the Cold War just because the Soviet Union and certain other countries, um, you know, refused to you know, partake and accept money from the U.S., um, but overall, I think looking back on it, it's had a general positive, um, just general positive view of, of you know how it you know benefited and helped uh, Europe progress after the war. So that's a great, pick. it's a great pick. He's and I just think like even if you talk with him, he's like a soldier slash diplomat. Like he's really everything that the United States you know had to be and should have been in, in the mid nineteen hundreds and. Like, rose up through, like, whatever, I'm just going to echo a lot of what you said, but, like, rose up through the Army, was influential hugely in World War One. was influential in the military buildup and the success in World War Two. Like, Churchill called him the organizer of victory for, like, the success of the Allies in World War Two, And then transitions into Secretary of State in the rebuilding of post-war Europe. He wins a Nobel Prize in 1953 for his rebuilding of Europe. Like, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's an incredible life and career. Uh, after that, after he re- resigns as Secretary of State, he becomes the president of the American Red Cross. Like... This dude, he did it all. It's like an incredible career. Um, and, and someone who is kind of mentioned in history books correctly, but not properly ce- celebrated. Deservedly a first-round pick. I'm upset that I didn't get him, but that's a, I think he's, he's an incredible, incredible guy. Yeah. I actually, sadly enough, didn't even have him on my board. But in terms of, like, American foreign policy moves, the Marshall Plan is maybe, like, m- my favorite sort of action and it just in terms of it's like sheer genius right so after world war one germany prussia whatever yeah. they were on the war path 
raising hell all over Europe. Treaty of Versailles comes. What's the action? We are going to cripple this country so that they never come back and do anything like this again. Well, now you have a power vacuum. There's still a ton of people that live there. And, I mean, there are tons of reasons that that Hitler came to prominence in, in Germany in that time. But a lot of things that people point to is that this is a country with rampant inflation. It's a destitute population. And it was almost a direct result of what we did in the Treaty of Versailles. So now... Marshall comes in and he's looking at the situation. He's like, we could have the same problem all over again. And instead of putting a bunch of people kind of on the brink, like a society on the brink of collapse, we can actually fund the building up of this and instill our values as we do that. And as we think about a lot of the ways that we've tried to deal with other problems since then, so many times it feels like we didn't learn some of the lessons that that George Marshall had and some of it I mean there's a you know a race element in there obviously right like we kind of have more familiarity with western europe and even like you know german people after world war 2 were viewed a lot differently than you know say middle eastern people today but at the same time you know there there was kind of this understanding that we have an opportunity to you know, instill our our values and values of democracy in these places, but we can't do it if people are worried about food and water and all these other things. So building up, yeah, I mean, it's a large part of the reason that we have this kind of, you know, what we call Western civilization today, Mm -hmm. I think is almost a direct result of that. So that's a, yeah, phenomenal pick for me. And I'm also, I'm disappointed in myself that I didn't even come up with him, but yeah. You know, it's, he was not on any list online either. Um, I really did do some digging. <laughs> 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 All right, then pick number five. All right. Uh, it's going to be a slightly different area, but uh, it's got to be the shoes. Uh, I'm going with Michael Jordan. No way. <laughs> so, wow. Um, so th- this is a pick that he was obviously. I'm glad somebody else has got Kelly. Only so <laughs> bemused. <laughs> um, so in terms of like thinking about like this is the way like that Joe was phrasing it, like maybe in the moment he definitely had a big impact. You know, he was. I mean, I can go over some of his, his accomplishments. He's arguably one of the greatest athletes of all time. I mean, he's. I think there's not much argument that he's the greatest basketball player of all time, but I think a lot of people would say that he's one of the greatest athletes of all time as well. But I think his his impact actually after has been huge in terms of like culture, at least in the U.S. Um, just in terms of like some of his like you know like basketball accomplishments, he was a six time NBA champion, six time NBA Finals MVP, five time NBA MVP, fourteen time NBA All Star. You can go on, but um, I think like his impact also as well like after. I mean, when he first you know in the nineteen eighties. There was a lot of like individuals in golf and like other sports, like individual sports that like had like their own shoes and their own brands, but it wasn't really a thing for somebody on like a team sport to have their own brand, like the like the Jordan brand. And he, he was kind of like the first one to like really like establish that. And if you look at highest paid athletes right now, if you consider him like still an athlete, he's probably the highest paid athlete still just because the Jordan brand is so big. I mean, if you just like walk around, if you go to like, if you went to like, you know, star market, you're going to see 10 people with like Jordans on or something like that, you know, like his impact after just in terms of like partnerships with like different brands, things like that, like, and like his impact on the culture, I think is just huge. Um, 
and you know, as a minority owner of like an NBA team, um, you know, I think he's also you know a pioneer in that way as well. So. Yeah, I think that's a bad pick. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! I, I think, <laughs> and I think this is like really, if you want to, like all of the stuff you said at the end there is like really the opposite of Ricky's argument, where like all of Ricky's Edison's accomplishments are in the 1800s. What you're talking about largely is in the 2000s. It's like I just think I would be curious for you guys. I had a hard time dealing with athletes in general, so like mm-hmm. you, you cited all of those statistics. Great, he's the greatest basketball player of all time. Mm-hmm. But like, if we're talking about influential people, we're really talking about things that they would have to be doing off the court, off the field, and. To me, I only had two athletes on my list, and he was not one of them. Like, I, I don't dispute anything you said about his mm-hmm. greatness as a basketball player, but to, to say he's more influential than I think the next, you know, 12 people are going to come up with, I think that's hard to say. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that you put him that high. I'd be curious, Ricky or Joe, like, your thoughts there. No, I have a similar line of thinking as you do. I think um, the criteria I mentioned at the top, you know, the second one, you know, really, I guess, ripple effects are... Um, second order effects kind of disqualified Michael Jordan for me because you know you can't dispute his influence, especially cor- culturally. But I guess in com- I guess you could say in comparison to some other people who are still on the board, um, he would he's for I mean, well he didn't make my list at all. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean he was definitely consideration. I saw him on a mini list. Yeah, and, and to and. So I think it really comes down to, like, um, so I think there's, like, a difference between, like, fame and, like, consequence or, yeah, that's kind of the big distinction for me. Like, musicians or performers or athletes can be famous or celebrities, but that may not necessarily come with, um, come with uh, consequence. So No, totally, yeah. I mean, like, I was just looking at, like, I think there's a few different ways you can look at this list. Of course. I also have, like, in terms of, I think, people who are consequential, in terms of, like... So I have some, like, other people who I think are... I mean, there's I have a number of other people who are definitely, like, more consequential and have, like, a bigger impact, I think, too. But, I mean, I wanted my, you know, I wanted my Rushmore to be a little more, like, kind of, like, bounce in certain, like, different areas. So, you know, with my first pick, I went with you know, somebody who was more influential in terms of, like, public policy, well, not public policy, but, like, just, like, in terms of, like, yeah, I guess public policy, yeah. um, government, et cetera. I wanted somebody in, like, kind of, like, mainstream in terms of, like, influence, like, the kind of, like, the way, like, people, like, just dress or even, like, kind of, like, and in sports in general, you know, like, because, I mean, probably every every single person in the, oh, like, everyone's heard of Michael Jordan. Like, people have, like, watched him, you know, like, they, like, seen that, like, they seen that greatness and, like, not sure if you went if you like ask people in general like who George Marshall you know like is yeah, yeah, you know yeah. like he, people might not know I think like the kind of like the Q rating the name recognition matters I, yeah. I do think that has something and to I think like influential I, I think he is and I mean the be like Mike campaign was like massive it was huge yeah, yeah. so I completely agree with everything you guys were saying that like <laughs> he's probably not in the top like two hundred and or three hundred people in terms of like how they impact like your day to day right now like Michael Jordan doesn't impact my day to day. Like, you know, but like in terms of people who, in terms of if you're looking at sports and like sports is huge in the U.S., he had a massive impact and that's kind of like why I chose him. So, yeah. And I mean, I think that that's fair. And like, if we also think about things that the U.S. kind of exports, Michael Jordan's fame and like basketball probably reaches like a lot more countries because we have this 
guy, Michael Jordan, who's just an absolute phenom. And obviously, dream teams and the Olympics and stuff like that are getting more and more people interested into the sport. But also, there is that aspect of like the way he, way he carries himself, what shoes he wears. That, I mean, globally, in the last like 30 years, you'd probably be hard pressed to find somebody who, like, yeah, like you said, name recognition. But that is. Part, maybe it's part of the question. It's like, who's having kind of that subtle impact the way Martin Luther King did, or even, yeah, George Marshall, versus, who, yeah, who do, you, who do you know and who did you aspire to be like? Yeah, I mean, like, if you're, like, looking at lists, and, like, he has no business being on, like, a list of, like, who's, like, most important. If you're saying, like, most important, then, like, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't deserve to be on a list with, like, MLK, for sure. But the growth of, like, the sport around the world... I mean, like, China, Asia, like, all of, in Europe, I mean, like, in general, like, it was the dream team going over there, like, Jordan, like, he's the one who, like, kind of spread the sport around, so, I don't know, I thought he was a, a, um, a different pick, so, but understand the criticism and the hate. That's why we, uh, play the game. Also, great gambling stories. So, as somebody who likes a little gamble himself, great story, actually. You should have let him know. Great story that one of his teammates told, actually. So this is before, like, they all have private planes, you know, you know, sports teams in general. They're all just flying, like, normal, you know, business class coach or whatever. And they get off. They get down. They're waiting for their bags. And he's, like, he's looking at the nine other guys there. And he's, like, 100 bucks, my bag comes out first. Everyone's, like, fuck that. Like, yeah, it's, like, nine, like I'm getting, like, 10 to 1 on this. Like, like yeah, I'll take, your, I'll take that. They're all waiting. His bag comes out first. He's, like, pay up, guys. Everyone gives him 100 bucks. Couple months later, he's like, "Oh yeah, I bribed the the, the, the backhander <laughs> before he landed. Sent my bag out first, and like that hundred bucks doesn't fucking mean anything to him. Yeah. Just, <laughs> he's an asshole." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a great story. So, any parting thoughts on Mike? I have nothing else to say. <laughs> so, All right, what are we? We're at six. Back to Ricky for six. Oh, I just accidentally deleted something on my list here, but. Ready. B- um, so BK is just th- thrown. This one is uh, this one is for for the lawyers in the house. Uh, I'm going with Earl Warren. Good choice. He- okay, sorry. So <laughs> I didn't know if I was going to get thrown out here because he was born in 1891, but. <laughs> that's, just, that's so different than the Addison pick. Like, don't try to like make well, the Warren Ford was in the 20s. Yeah, yeah, it was in the mid 50s. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're safe. Whatever. Um, right, so Chief Justice from 1953 to 1969. I admittedly knew kind of very little about Earl Warren personal, like as an individual, but I'd heard the term like of the Warren Court and mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. how it set off the. I, I'm not sure, like the like the activist court, but that's kind of the reputation of how the the court sort of evolved over time. Although, I think historians may dispute, like, kind of how justices have acted in the past. But anyways, some of the big decisions, um, Miranda v. Arizona, people will know when someone says, read you your rights, those are the Miranda rights, which came out of that case. Um, And then, obviously, the most famous Brown v. Board of Education, which basically ended legal segregation um, in the U.S. And and another, probably slightly lesser known, Loving v. Virginia Mm -hmm. Um, which affirmed or legalized uh, interracial marriage in the U.S. Um, so in terms of 
And, and and I guess Brown v. Board of Education, one of the big things that Earl Warren was credited with was getting a unanimous decision yep. in that case. So if you think about today's like uh, makeup within the court and thinking about what it would take to get a unanimous, unanimous decision on something like Brown v. Board of Education um, – it's a it's an incredibly impressive achievement. A fun fact that I learned about Earl Warren is that as a longtime Republican governor of California, he once ran um, in a prime in a Republican primary and got uh, got the Republican nomination. But he was also given the Democratic nomination in the same election and only three term governor of, of California. So he had broad appeal and obviously that term. Republican Democrat kind of meant something a little bit different, <clears throat> um, but uh, yeah, it's, I I uh, I don't I don't know that I have much more to say about that. But curious to hear if you guys had him on your board um, or were, were thinking about him placing him in the top four at all. He was on my board um, a little later, but I think that's a, is a fair pick. I think that his courts. The rulings in that, and you mentioned a bunch of them, um, Brown and, and Loving and Miranda. Like they're they're the, the ones that you know with the one words, right? Like if you ask people what are Supreme Court cases, just like average people on the street, those mm-hmm. are the cases they would know, and that they all happen under his court. And of course, like he doesn't get all of the credit for it, but he's the Chief Justice, and he has a lot to do with that. And I think Ricky, your point is really well taken. Of like today, imagine these landmark cases coming around, and he made a huge effort, being like. I know that this Brown case is really going to shake up society. It would be so much more powerful if it has nine of us. And like the effort that it took to get everyone on board with that decision is something that shouldn't go like un- unnoted. Um, there are a couple other cases. Um, Griswold v. Connecticut, uh, which uh, there was a law that restricted access to contraceptives, which that, that was struck down as well. Um, and a, a few others that I, I wanted to mention. Gideon v. Wainwright, which is another one that people might have heard of, which um, guarantees a criminal right, a criminal defendant's right to an attorney in felony cases. Um, there was one where it was like Westbury v. Sanders, which was like a equal protection. So like all congressional districts had to be the same size. So it's like one man, one vote type thing, like actually yeah. mattered. And so like all of those, like those decisions, again, like that's all under his court. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's a, a fair point. I will say that you mentioned he was governor of California, on kind of the negative side, he was a huge proponent of the removal, the forced removal of the Japanese Americans under um, FDR's administration during that time. So kind of like I said with Ford, if we're going to talk about influence, like, yeah, he was hugely popular as the governor of California, but he used that influence to um, like severely negatively impact Japanese Americans. And despite all of the other great things in terms of like civil rights that he did as a Supreme Court justice, that should be mentioned as well. Yeah, I think that's I think that's definitely important to to call out, and unfortunately not in the headlines of the Wikipedia article that I read. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything else to add to that. So. Didn't didn't make my list. Yeah, all right, no, we're close. It's a good pick. <laughs> right. I'm split with you and Dan. I think you have one good one. Going down. <laughs> uh, I will say so. I will say that I'm having some regrets now about that pick. I thought I might get off the board, and I got few, and I took them. And I'm just like now. I'm... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I'm real. There's like so many other people I, I can draw yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. It's too late. Now. Seventh pick. I, I feel very fortunate. These people were, and these are people um, that they were second on my board. The Wright brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I didn't. I didn't mean to get like stuck in the transport. I didn't thought I think I was yeah. the transportation guy here. But like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pleasantly shocked that the Wright brothers are still on the board at pick seven. Um, they they just as Henry Ford like revolutionized the auto industry. The Wright brothers obviously. <laughs> 
I mean, not revolutionized. They invented, like, the flight industry. You know, and they are um, famously, in, in 1903, they make the first, uh, you know, controlled, sustained flight of, of an aircraft in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Um, the, the, the first to invent aircraft controls that made, that like, the kind of the wing-powered flight possible. Uh, they famously got, like, got their ideas from working in a bicycle shop in Ohio and, and took those for years to kind of tinker with flight until they, they made it happen. And, but I don't think it really needs to be said how influential like, like air travel is in the 20th century. You know, it's 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 huge. And whether we talk about in the military, like there was never like aerial warfare before, obviously before like the rights come along, and uh, the fact that we are just able to like fly everywhere we want today, it doesn't happen without the Wright brothers. It certainly doesn't happen you know, as quickly without them. So. Um, I don't think I need to make a big case for their influence. You know, 1903, we're talking 97 years of, of flight in, in the 20th century because of the Wright brothers' invention. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I was, like, doing research, and I was, like, now I was, like, doing all this digging. I was, like, I'm not really trying far, far to dig. I mean, it's just clear, like, our, in terms of, like, the world, I mean, like, it changed everything, you know? Like, in terms of, like, where you can go, like, accessibility, like... It, everything's completely different, you know? Like, you're able to just see different cultures, you know? And, like, everything... And, and that's crazy. It happened in, like... This is 19... Like, literally, 1903. Yeah. It's, it, this is over 100 years ago. And it's just fascinating that it was that long ago that, you know, they were able to, you know, figure this out. I <laughs> so, still don't totally know how, like, airplanes work. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, if someone's, like, explaining to me how, like, a plane is able to fly that long, I can give you like, a general description. But the fact that, like... Without like the internet or nineteen, they, they were able to just like <laughs> the internet. Yeah, what do we do with the internet? Like they were able to come up with how like planes work is in, in, like, yeah. like cre- honestly like create a plane that works is incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think like Dan, you were saying about you know modern day globalization, you can basically tie it to the fact that we were able to. You weren't taking a ship for <laughs> like, yeah, like, four months yeah, yeah. across the Atlantic. I, I think. You know, since we're talking about positive and negative influence, one of the first contracts that they had, they you know, was a U.S. military contract, and it didn't take long for us and and everybody else to figure out, okay, well, we can fly, so now we can weaponize these things, yeah. and mm-hmm. you know, potentially you don't have firebombing or Hiroshima and Nagasaki without. I mean, it's, it's real it's, hard to tie, yeah, but I know no, what you're no, saying. No, not tying it's, it's, them, yeah, but yeah. like, right? I mean, if we're going to give them credit for yeah, all of yeah, the yeah. things that they set in motion, right, then right. we should also. Sure. To, to draw on, on some of those own things. And, and and it's I think it's true in a sense that like these things like globalization and integration are just messy as much as we benefit from their like the good things about them. Um, they're all, yeah, it's just, it's been a messy twentieth century in large part because of those <laughs> good points. Alright, on to pick number eight and pick number nine. Alright, um, yeah, very, very uh, dismayed to see you uh, snag the Wright brothers right from under, uh, under, under uh, underneath me. But um, I still got, uh, I guess I got plenty of take, plenty of picks. My picks are looking good. My eleven picks are looking good. I considering this selection so far, I was like, <laughs> what? Just make make the pick. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So my uh, my second pick is going to be Neil Armstrong. Wow. And, interesting. Uh, and interesting. So interesting. This was an interesting pick because initially. Initially, I I probably wouldn't have picked him, but after doing a little bit of digging, a little bit of research, I I um, had to revise that uh, that opinion. So, so of course, Neil Armstrong was an American astronaut and aeronautical engineer. He's most well known for being the first human 
being to land and walk on the moon in 1969. Now, of course, landing on landing and walking on the moon is an incredible feat, even by 2022 standards. I mean, we even we even been to the moon since the early 70s. But I want to explain why it was such a momentous occasion for Americans in 1969. Now, you know, of course, we weren't alive then, so it's difficult to really understand the cultural impact of the moment. So the 20, the 20 or so years prior to 1969, so really 1950 on, so this is post-World War II, that, those two decades were a period of significant concern and stress for Americans. So tensions with the USSR were extremely high in large part due to nuclear proliferation. So the Russians were testing and blowing up nuclear bombs all through the late 40s and, and 50s. So they, they were testing atomic bombs by 1949, hydrogen bombs by 1953. And by the time we get to 1962, U.S. is almost drawn into a nuclear war over the Cuban Missile Crisis. And then backing, backing up a few years in 1957, the Soviets actually beat us to space with the Sputnik um, satellite, which was absolutely devastating blow to the American psyche at the time. So if we then move from international issues to domestic issues, at home, we were dealing with McCarthyism and the Second Red Scare from the 1940s to the 1950s. Um, there's also the Civil Rights Movement, which caused a lot of significant civil unrest from 1954 to 1968. And then we were, of course, stuck in the, the quagmire that was the Vietnam War um, you know, from the mid-1950s to the mid-1970s. So, so in 1969, now more than ever, the country needed a, a win and something to unite us. So when Neil Armstrong said the famous words, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, it was a huge win for the country at a time when we needed needed a big win more than ever. So what's really cool is that the nation committed to a goal of landing on the moon, accomplished it on time, and beat the Soviets in the space race. We'd proven our technological superiority, and Armstrong embodied the strength of the American people and their way of life. So... First, first man on the moon, huge win for the United States, you know, shows our superior, superiority over the, uh, the Soviets. And I just, I can't imagine how like proud, proud Americans must have been when the mission was successful and, you know, he and, uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin got out of that moon lander and, you know, <laughs> uh, hit some golf balls on the moon. Actually, I'm not sure if, if they did, but some of the Apollo team members did but you know just i'll just add quickly beyond that as far as like ripple effect and legacy you know of course nasa you know still plays a major role in, in um you know several spacefaring um ventures they don't play as much of a role now as they did back then but you know they've uh, they've inspired a generation um and increased interest in science and aerospace and they've had you know some big accomplishments you know beyond the apollo program they had the shuttle program, International Space Station, Hubble Telescope. Are we now telescope. giving Neil Armstrong credit for NASA? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, no, but you know his success, of course, led to the continued existence of NASA and like their role sure. in sure. Um, you know aeronautical uh, endeavors. So yeah, maybe a bit of a stretch there, but you know I think if Apollo program was a failure, fair. Uh, I think if NASA still existed, it might have have an even more diminished role than it does now. Yeah. I, started, I didn't make my board, didn't cross my mind. Did I make a decent case? No, yeah, 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 no. I think, I, I think that's a great case. I mean, really, like, 
I would I, I think I think your arguments point a lot to just like the psychological impact of, mm-hmm. of what he did when he yeah. did it. I think the practical importance of us putting somebody on the moon, like you said, like forty years later, we've been back like once and Russia got there not that or the Soviet Union got there not that long after where we did. With Sputnik, didn't they? Oh uh, to space? Yeah. Uh, or to about oh to space or to the moon? To space. Yeah, yeah. Well the Russians beat us to space. Oh right. Yeah. Great I should've should have done my <laughs> But the Russians never made it to the moon. Yeah. All right. Yeah, let's let, let's keep it rolling. We, we got we're on to round three. Yeah, pick pick nine. nine. Okay. Um, for my third pick, I'm actually I'm gonna go with uh, Bill Gates. Hmm. Okay. So uh, Danny seems disappointed. I feel like he had him hanging out. So there. so uh, you know, Bill Gates, of course, was the co-founder right. of Microsoft. <laughs> um. And you know, Microsoft, of course, is one of the most successful and valuable companies ever created. Microsoft gave the world two things. They were the first real software company. And second, they, put, they basically put a PC on everybody's desk and in everybody's home. So this second accomplishment was possible because in the 80s, Microsoft chose to focus exclusively on software and then license its software, the Windows operating system, to other computer manufacturers. So at the time, for instance, Apple... Um, they, Apple was focused on building hardware and software together, but by Microsoft shifting the value in um, in computers to software, they're able to commoditize com- computing hardware and lower the computer prices and make computing accessible to the masses. So it created an operating system platform for third-party software to flourish. So, you know, of course, the ubiquity of computers leads to the information age. Um, which transforms literally every industry um, nationally and globally. Um, so, I mean, that's massive influence. And just beyond that, just a couple of Microsoft accomplishments. Of course, I mentioned they created Windows, Microsoft Office, um, the Xbox, which uh, is the platform of Fusion Frenzy. They <laughs> um, also uh, created Internet Explorer, which um, I guess is, really, of course... Dude, what about Netscape? Well, that's not Microsoft. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we're just those of us who are at the table right now, three of the four computers are Windows. So that just goes to show that, you know. Oh, you're the one that's not. So, big deal. I'm on Microsoft Word right now, so. Use a Microsoft Word. Yeah. So that's, that's my pick. Yeah, I mean, that's a great pick. Uh, yeah, like I was saying, like, I mean, we're all on Word right now. I mean, like, I don't even know how most people would do their job. I mean, anyone who has, like, a desk job is just impacted on this, like, daily, you know? Like, yeah. um, it's completely changed how, like, work product, it, it, I mean, just work product in general over the last, like, 30, 40 years. Um, and I'm not sure if you touched upon, like, the, the Gates Foundation, though. I mean, like... Uh, I didn't because it's more like 21st century. Yeah, yeah, Dan doesn't really care about that. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, but I mean, if we're because if we're talking about people from the eight, from the 19th century and their accomplishments, I think it's only <laughs> yeah. people <laughs> people <laughs> from the 21st century. He was alive. Yeah. He was alive, and and I, the I Gates Foundation, I guess, like I guess, wasn't really launched until like like 2000. But 
I mean, it, it has has a huge impact worldwide in terms of um, you know phil, philanthropic efforts and just like you know addressing poverty and you know around the world. Um, and and they're involved in, um, yeah. I mean, not not just that, but I mean, they're involved in a lot of like healthcare, pharmaceutical, you know, endeavors around the world. So good. All right, let's move on to pick ten. Um, I am going to take the first woman of this draft. Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah. Uh, so Eleanor Roosevelt, incredibly accomplished. I would say, obviously, the most famous first lady of all time. Not only serves four terms along with her husband, but I think this is this is cool. Is that, uh, you know, her, her her marriage to FDR was was rocky for a number of reasons, mostly FDR's fault, um, and we kind of forget that in our hero worship of FDR. But like, he wasn't great in his marriage. But she, you know, after FDR you know, had some illnesses, she was the one that encouraged him to stay in politics. And like, as he was kind of ascending the political ladder, she made many public appearances on his behalf and was a huge driver of his political career, knowing that at the time that maybe she couldn't have possibly been president, but like she could be in a position to encourage the people, her, the people around her, the husband, the person that she loved to be president. Obviously FDR was hugely influential in his own right, but you know, for, for Eleanor, you know, she, was like controversial at the time, but she like held like regular press conferences and she wrote uh, like a daily newspaper column and a monthly magazine column. She hosted a weekly radio show and like regular, like I said, press conference. She spoke at the national party convention. Uh, she was someone that like was very outspoken, uh, particularly in roles for like women in the workplace and for, um, for like black Americans. And uh, she was when the United Nations was created after World War Two. She was the, the she not only encouraged the creation of that, but was the first delegate to the United Nations, uh, the first United States delegate to, to uh, the United Nations. Uh, even after. Her, her her husband died. She was the first chair of the UN Commission on Human Rights and oversaw the drafting of the United Nations Declar- the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Um, she chaired JFK's Presidential Commission on the Status of Women, and at the time of her death, she was called uh, one of the most esteemed women in the world by the New York Times and, and the, quote, the object of almost universal respect in her obituary. Uh, in 1999, she was ranked ninth in Gallup's list of most widely admired people of the 20th century. And between 1948 and 1961, she was the most admired woman every single year. Uh, it's just an incredible life. And I think you know, for someone that could have so easily been relegated to just, oh, she's like the first lady, she made in, I would say, you know, if, if not equal, very close to that uh, of, her, of her husband in terms of the impact in, in the 20th century. Yeah, I don't. I don't have much to to add to that. I think, um, but well said. And this, your third. Are we at your third pick? Yeah. That's a nice addition to the to the Rushmore. Yeah, and get a, get a woman involved as well. So. All right. Let's uh, let's move into the third pick of the third round, the eleventh overall pick, Ricky. Who you got? All right. So after the. Eligibility of my first pick overall was heavily, heavily questioned. I'm going with someone. I still, I still can't believe you did that. <laughs> Smack dab in the middle of the century. There should be no questions about this. Born Cassius Marcellus Clay Jr., January 17, 1942. Died recently, June, June 3rd, 2016. I'm going with Muhammad Ali. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, when we had the first athlete go off the board, I thought I thought it was going to be Ali, no question. Well, there was no reason for it not to be Ricky. But, uh, <laughs> I know, I have to take regrets. Yeah. So I'm, kind of, I'm, I'm actually pleasantly surprised to be able to get him uh, mm-hmm. get him where I am on the list. I'm nicknamed the greatest. I could not think of a, a better place for him than, than on sort of like the pantheon of, of U.S. figures. Um, so he changed his his name in um, in 1964 when he joined the Nation of Islam, but he sort of made a deal about it that he was like renouncing his slave name, um, and and this is what I think sets Muhammad Ali a little bit apart from Michael Jordan is that he he did spend a lot of time talking about the social issues of his time, and you really saw him come into his own. Uh, obviously he had like some, some pretty big time influences, but I don't know that there's sort of like a quicker wit out there, um, in his, in his early boxing career. So a few of his, uh, his boxing feats, he won gold in 1960 at the Olympics. He was a four time WBA heavyweight champion, two time WBC heavyweight champion. He beat the likes of, you know, some of the other great boxers of the age Joe Frazier, Sonny Liston, George Foreman in some of the biggest fights of all time the Rumble in the Jungle, the Thrill in Manila. Um, But he's also known for, right, his social activism. So he. he refused the draft, so in, in the midst of his career, the Vietnam War was was raging, and he had been drafted, um, and basically was like, what you know, what would I go over to Vietnam for? Um, I don't have any issues with the, the Viet Cong. Um, and he was convicted of draft evasion. I don't actually, someone will be able to correct me, because I imagine that he at least made other people's boards, that he spent much time in prison, but... He was essentially suspended from boxing for four years, and that was in the prime of his in the prime of his career. So um, he gave up a lot for his convictions and what he believed in. And I think you know one. Of, I, I mean, there are so many things that you could say about Muhammad Ali, but one thing that a lot of people point to is that for a black man in America in the '60s, he really commanded respect kind of across the board um, for what he was able to do. And, I mean, he trash-talked like no other, but he backed it up as well. Um, and, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have much more to say, but, but curious to, to hear what you guys think. Say, can I get a pat on the back for that pick or what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I should have taken him ahead of Jordan. Yeah. Uh, but so one of the things when I was going through research – is that I didn't realize that, so when he was, um, so you, you mentioned him opposing the draft and, and ultimately not serving, but um, when he was found guilty of draft evasion, he his decision was appealed at the Supreme Court. I didn't never knew that um, that was taken all the way up to the Supreme Court, like Clay versus U.S. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. I, I had no idea that he was, I mean, while like the decision like ultimately didn't really like address like his specific situation um <laughs> kind of interesting though that um it was all you know it was brought all the way up to the supreme court you know his his decision to um you know 
you know, uh, of a, you know, not partaking the draft, etc. So. Yeah, I mean, that was a big deal, right? Like, the term draft dodger, yeah. and just, like, there were a lot of wealthy people that were able to get out of serving in Vietnam mm-hmm. at the time, and so a lot of people wanted to be like, well, he's just, like, an athlete who wants to get out of this, and he, he was very much clear about his reasons. You know, he was a conscientious objector, uh, this was part of his faith, but also that just that he did not feel yeah. that this was, you know, the right thing to be doing. Um, but yeah, that was... Yeah, I mean, I think we, you know, the draft is such a, a controversial thing and, you know, tons of respect for all of the people that answered the call of their country, but also tons of respect for Ali that he could have left the country. He could have fled to, you know, Canada if he wanted to. He could have paid, he had the money to pay other people like rich people did to like take his draft number and he didn't. He was pretty much like, hey, this is what I believe in and if I'm, I'm not going to do it and if you, if you don't, if you disagree with me, then send me to jail. And so I, I want to read a quote that he said. There's a, he said, quote, My conscience won't let me shoot my brother or some darker people or some poor hungry people in the mud for be, big, powerful America. And shoot them for what? They never called me the N-word. They never lynched me. They didn't put no dogs on me. They didn't rob, rob me of my nationality, rape and kill my mother and father. Shoot them for what? How can I shoot poor people just to take them to jail? And so I think like if you want to criticize him for draft dodging, I understand that. But I think you can't criticize him. Like He was a man that... like was willing to go to jail for what he believed in. And I think that's, as you said, Ricky, that, that's what separates him from every other athlete or like <laughs> in the, in the 20th century, if you're going to pick an athlete, like it's Muhammad Ali. He's the most influential athlete for all of, all of the things that he did when boxing was still arguably one of, if not the biggest sporting event and all of like the things he accomplished as a boxer, but just so much more of like what, you know, he meant as, as a, as a figure, and he, you know, quite honestly, in, in hindsight, he was right about Vietnam. Um, I don't know if that vindicates him or not, but like he, he was right. And like looking back on it and I don't know, for me, like one of my, I don't know, not earliest memories, but sporting memories of like in the 1996 Atlantic Olympics, when he's the one, obviously you got Parkinson's later in life and he's shaking, but he, he lights the flame of the 96. I like distinctly remember that and not even really knowing like, how important Muhammad Ali was, but also knowing that, like, this was a significant moment when even we were, what, like, eight years old at the time, but being like, something's happening here, and it's, like, really important. And, like, and for someone to have that so many years after his career, I think, to Joe, like, your early qualifications, like, he was the guy in the moment, and he was the guy for the rest of his life. Yeah, and and also, like, if you think about what athletes did after him, like, in, in, in so many ways... The like Colin Kaepernick's of the world are doing what they're doing. All right, I mean, you can argue you can't put them in the same sentence. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. But I guess what I'm saying is that <laughs> he made activism as an athlete. He took that. He was everything form. Michael Jordan was not. <laughs> yeah. like, hey, Republicans, <laughs> Republicans buy sneakers too. This is true. Yeah. So, well, I, I never said he was that. I guess he had a great impact on. You know, he, he was like a, a positive, you know, like... <laughs> I, guess, I guess what I mean to say is that everybody else, or not everybody, but most people after him did not venture out of, you know, their lane as far as it, as far as like athletics were concerned, right? And he was always out there, or not always, but sort of once he came into his own, he was out there, he was talking to the press, and he was talking about issues that related to his life, race being one of them. And there are very few people in the 80s and 90s that you can point to that did anything like that. 
And so... And he was doing it in an era that was way harder to do it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was doing it in an era that, like, it could it could very possibly cost you your life, right? Like, Martin Luther King wasn't assassinated much after a lot of the, the things that he was doing and saying. And that was a very real threat. Um, and he could have been quiet, right? Like, he, he was winning all these titles. He was making tons of money. And he chose not to, so at great personal sacrifice, mm-hmm. which I think mm-hmm. is definitely important to yeah to add to the story. All right, so we had Dan for picks uh, eleven and twelve, his final two picks. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of pressure, Dan. Okay. Come back. <laughs> yeah. I don't like being on the back end like that, but okay. Uh, with my third pick, I'm going with uh, William Brennan. Um, so you were. Uh, <laughs> We had, we had one other uh, SCOTUS member earlier, um, and I'm going with the heavy liberal side here. So he was a no <laughs> American lawyer, served on SCOTUS from uh, 56 to 90, uh, the seventh longest serving uh, Supreme Court um, justice in history. So he's like, when you're looking at like someone like his, like, key decisions are not like super like sexy decisions that like people like who aren't involved in or who, who like didn't go to law school like may not have heard of um so you're talking about like uh baker versus Carr, eisenstadt versus baird and then like new york times and sullivan um so not like the most well-known but he was involved in over like 1300 legal opinions even conservative members of the court uh quote from Scalia called Brennan probably the most influential justice of the 20th century. Um, other quotes and examination of Brennan's opinions and his influence upon the opinions of his colleagues suggest that there is no individual in this country on or off the court who has had a more profound and sustained impact on public policy in the U.S. So, as BK was laughing earlier, leaned very heavily on the uh, liberal side, so I'm sure that Brennan disagreed with a lot of his takes. Um but uh, was also a huge proponent for women's equality uh, during his time on the court as well and um, had a very close relationship with Ginsburg. So, um, but I know you, you know, you had picked Warren earlier, but um, somebody who sat on that court, uh, I'm going with uh, Brennan. So he wouldn't have been the next Supreme court justice I, I picked, mm-hmm. but uh, I do think he was, he was one of those sneaky, super influential guys. And just to be like, make this about me for a minute. Um, I'm part of like this thing called like the Marshall Brennan, um, like moot court competition. And so it's, it's named after um, justice William Brennan for a reason in terms of like his decisions consistently advocated for the equal rights, the civil rights of, of all people in this country, whether it was, you know, black people or minorities or um, like immigrants or younger people or women, like all, all of his decisions were consistently on, on that side. And so um, I think, I think personally, like being part of that competition has given me renewed uh, respect for, for all the things he did to advance um, the rights of people in this country. Yeah. I like that. So this is my last pick, huh? Last one. I'm kind of torn between a few. Um, I already went with one athlete and I should have done this athlete instead, but we'll get there after the pod is done. Um, (laughs) I'm going to go with... uh, One second. Last pick, and you know, pressure's on. You know, it's like we're all trying to figure out like how do we round out our round out. Yeah, exactly. Our 
Yeah, it's almost well, less about yeah. who's left. And yeah, because there's so many, there's so many yeah. people. Yeah, there, right? Like, so yeah. I don't have a woman on my board. Um, so Joe gets a car. What? BK gets a car. <laughs> no, Brittany gets a car. Wow! Wow! <laughs> I'm going yeah. with Oprah. Yeah. So how many people in the world where you can just say their name one and name. you know one name? It's Oprah. Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of her impact has been, I'd say her impact has been split between, you know, 20th century, 21st, but, um, born in 54, you know, obviously talk show host, TV producer, actress, philanthropist, etc. um, best known for the Oprah Winfrey show, which, I mean, obviously, <laughs> I mean... I didn't watch the Oprah Winfrey show much, so I'm not really sure like, if I knew how big of an impact it really had, actually, but kind of reading about this and, like, the Oprah effect is kind of crazy. So I, I'm not sure if I really even knew how big her daytime show was, but so she's um, she was, at one point, the world's only black billionaire. She was a, as I mentioned, a huge philanthropist. Um, you know, in terms of, like, the Oprah effect... Like she opened, like she had like the Oprah Book Club, and basically, if if your book got on the Oprah Book Club, it would be a number one, you know, a number one New York Times bestseller. Like, it's kind of like interesting. Like, there's all these quotes out there, like CNN and Time, arguably the most influential woman in the world, like one of the 100 most influential influential people of the 20th century. And it's it's interesting because like if you're looking at like you know what did she do? It's like she just had like a you know a daytime you know talk show. But, like, in terms of, like, how many people she reached, actually, and, like, how it was syndicated, the show, in terms of, like, where it reached, like, outside the U.S. as well, um, I think she probably touched just, like, a a crazy amount of people. And, like, the effect that she had that, like, basically, if if Oprah said something, the amount of people that would hear it and the impact they would have was just, like, you know, like, nothing that – there's not many other people who could, like, kind of, like, influence just like the U.S. In, and just kind of like thought in general. So, you know, it was obviously on the later part of the 20th century, but in terms of the amount of people that she um, kind of like reached on a day-to-day basis, um, you know, it, and, and the people who kind of like, she was responsible for like kind of like, you know, creating as well, you know, like she has like the Dr. Phil underneath her, like, you know, Rachel Ray, people like that, who like, if you're looking at like you, the U.S. in general, like people who like, who, like people who you consume, you know, um, her and people underneath her, um, you know, they, they reach just like millions. So, makes me feel like if we did this 100 years from now, Joe Rogan's going to be on, on this. <laughs> he might be. Yeah. But, but I do think Oprah's someone that, like, for us, kind of growing up as like somewhat younger, like, we, like, I think we just kind of take Oprah for granted as like she's just kind of ubiquitous. She's, she's just like a larger than life figure that's like super influential, but like, I think then you're right to point out that she was a pioneer in so many ways, both as a woman and as a black person, as a black woman, like in the space to, to kind of achieve what she did. And like, quite honestly, if you're going anyone for an interview right now, like who is the person you would go to? You'd be like, Oprah, right? Like, like, like if you want to have a game, a mag, like kind of like the interview she did even just last year, I know this is 20, 21st century, like with Meghan Markle and Prince William, like she's got to the point where she's made herself the go-to interviewer, like media personality in the world. And, to your credit, most of that are at least started in in the 20th century, and um, yeah, I mean, she she deserves her due. All right, so Dan's team is set. Let's let's send it on to Ricky for his last pick. 
Um, right. Why do I feel like Ricky's like frantically searching me? Americans. I got. I have it. I have a couple, and I guess someone's gonna have to drop into the into the arm. Fucking Joe's cheating off him over into, here. Into <laughs> the honorable mention category. Um, I think, yeah. To to round out my list, I'm gonna go with someone that I know was on nobody's board. Um, <laughs> Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Why not? There's nobody left. Yeah. No one else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think there there are plenty of people to choose from. But oh, oh yeah, I should just think. make the you think. <laughs> All right, I'm going with Betty for Dan. Um, do you know what? who that is? I do not. Okay. What? Yeah, no, I know. So I've, I've actually only sort of kind of recently um, come to learn a little uh, bit. How do you spell the last name? For Dan. Yeah, how recently are you talking about? F-R-I-E-D-A-N. So she's the author of The Feminine Mystique. Um, basically a, a, a book that came out, oh, I want to say late 50s, 60s. It was kind of concurrent with the civil rights movement. But it's credited as kind of the second coming of feminism in the U.S., right? So we had the suffragette movement in the early 20th century, women getting the right to vote in 1920s, but that didn't actually come with a lot of uh, a lot of other opportunities. So women obviously worked in factories and other places in World War II when a lot of men went to serve abroad, but when they came home, it was largely expected that women would go back to being homemakers. And so this book, along with, you know, obviously she wasn't the only one, Gloria Steinem and others were <clears throat> perhaps better known. Um, this particular book kind of captured that idea that, it w- I mean, which is, it sounds crazy to say it out loud in 2022, but like captured the idea that women were not all happy being home and being homemakers and that there was like some <laughs> there was that there's sort of film fulfillment behind or beyond the doors of the home and so you know from this the equal rights act which took a long long time to actually be ratified but that got a ton of support and you you saw a real movement kind of around the voting power of women now we talk about like the good things and the bad things a lot of the criticisms around her work today are related to uh, the fact that she was really advocating for middle class white women, um, which if we, you know, if, if someone else was to pick Susan B. Anthony, say, you would say a lot of the same things, that there was a lot of kind of segregationist talk. It was, it was actually that, like, if they are going to allow black men to vote, then you want white women to counter that. So there... If we think about the evolution of the U.S. over the 20th century, there's obviously a huge, huge shift in integration and desegregation, but there's also just a massive shift in women in the workplace, and obviously we've still got a long way to go. But I think if you start to kind of Google feminism in the mid-20th century, Betty Friedan is going to come up a lot um, as, a, as a pivotal figure. And so some of the like things that... Uh, that she was <clears throat> a part of or, or responsible for, co-founded the National Organization for Women and the National Women's Caucus. Um, 
and and really pushing forward that the Equal Rights Amendment as like a political movement for women in the 1950s and 60s. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I don't know her at all. So I, I think credit to you. I think one of the things we always talk about here is like the learning aspect of this, mm-hmm. of, of pointing out people that we don't know a ton about. And even with the presidents, we said that we kind of knew who they were. And so I think that's someone I don't know a ton about. I think he made a good case for her. I would want to go look her up after this. Yeah, same. I mean, like, Gloria Steinem was like a kind of like a wild card on my board that I was like, well, we'll see where like my, my Rushmore uh, ends. So I feel like she's probably a, a more like known household figure. Name. Yeah, household name. But from the very brief research and like in the summary that, summary that you gave and now I'm like looking at myself, like somebody who accomplished a lot and is not like a household name, like it's, it's kind of, uh, well, it's interesting that, you know, that I've never heard of this person and with the impact that they had. So it's a good pick. Wow. All right. Yeah, I will. I'll, I'll close out my team um, with W.E.B. Du Bois. Um, he is the founder, most famously, of the NAACP. Uh, if you listen to Ricky and I's podcast a lot, I uh, last um, when we talked when we celebrated Juneteenth, Ricky and I both chose people to sell to highlight, and Ricky chose W.E.B. Du Bois. Uh, born here in Massachusetts, which I've, I've always mm-hmm. been like, oh, that, that's kind of cool. Like, that's not something I knew kind of growing up, uh, but so. He's someone in, and this is what we talked about when we talked about Dr. King, right? Of like, the movement could have gone a lot of different ways. And, and Du Bois is someone that he kind of lives, he's born in 1868, so he's coming to come into prominence at the beginning of the 20th century, the beginning of the 1900s. And he's competing in some ways with Booker T. Washington, who's another person that, you know, could have been mentioned as, as like, where does this, you know, post-slavery black American movement go? And, um, and Du Bois kind of rebelled against the, Hey, let's just put our head down and, and work. And you know, as long as you know we can kind of make money, we'll, we'll be subservient. And Du Bois was like, Nah, like I, I want full. You know, we deserve like full equal rights as Americans. And as as we continue, I demand like rights to education and, and equal opportunity here. So like, then when our like talented people, the talented tenth was like kind of his thing. Like when our talented people can uh, you know get to those upper level society, we can kind of bring the black community up with us. Um, he's someone that protested of, of course against of, of Jim Crow laws and, and lynching and, and discrimination and education and employment and um, what was someone that uh, was a proponent of like pan Africanism and like uh, in promoted like those those, those ideas uh, he was also like a huge author um, so like on the souls of black folk is like a is really like in a, it's a collection of his essays and is well worth reading Um in 1935, he published Black uh, Reconstruction in America, which was uh, it was another like seminal book in kind of like the civil rights movement. And uh, he, I would say, if we're connecting like the civil rights movement, I would say for me, it's Frederick Douglass, W. B. Du Bois, Martin Luther King. I think like if if we're connecting all of those things, I don't think we get King without Du Bois. Uh, I, I think he's integral in like the early. 1900s of, of advocating for equal rights for black people and you know unfortunately he dies the year before the civil rights act is passed but he is someone that like laid the groundwork for that 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 act to be and all I, I for all of the rights that like king all of the things that king gets credit for as he well deserves credit for i i just don't think there's a king without a du bois and um someone i think that is is someone that should be more well known than he already is 
I mean, you already know my feelings on him. He was, oddly enough, given that he's Kelly's pick, a, pro- a proponent. He sort of flirted with the ideas of communism and socialism a lot in the early mm-hmm. part of the 20th century. Obviously, that's pre-Soviet Union, but I definitely want to throw that out there. Cause, As mean, a Cuban. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't want that. So, yeah. <laughs> You're not getting a, whole, like, a lot of reception over yeah. there. I'm really in my own corner yeah. is, what, is what it is. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's absolutely right. And I think the the point about Booker T. Washington is, like an, is an interesting one to bring up, too, because I think when we think about these movements, you know, like the Civil Rights Movement in, in the 1960s, you think about King as if there is like this unified voice and everybody is marching in the same direction, and it's easy to write history that it's way. So yeah, much easier. Here, oh, yeah, King, of course, here's my hero of the story, yeah, yeah, yeah. and like, yeah, it turns out that he yeah. ends up being the one. But in the trenches at the time, it's a much messier. Um, it's a much messier endeavor, and and like he and Booker T. Washington, obviously, you know, they had so much in common, but then. Towards the end, it's like, well, all right, we we agree what the problem is, but what's the solution? And it's and it, it was that it was that struggle. And like you said, like yeah, Martin Luther King is is kind of of the of the lineage of Du Bois, but but many other people were thinking, well, maybe we could just be separate and be okay. Um, and if you think about what America would look like if if those ideals had kind of prevailed, yeah. it'd be a very very different place. Would this table for sure would not exist, <laughs> or the folks around it at least. <laughs> the table itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. All right, Joey, finish it up. All right, uh, for my final pick, this is definitely someone you don't know of. Uh, this is my dark horse I mentioned earlier, but I'm going to go with uh, Vint Surf. So Vint is recognized as one of the fathers of the internet. In 1973, he invented the Internet Protocol Suite with co-developer Bob Kahn. The Internet Protocol Suite, also referred to as TCPIP, describes the fundamental architecture of the Internet and also defines a variety of protocols that govern how data is transferred within and between networks. So TCPIP made possible the, the web, Wi-Fi, Ethernet, local area networks, email, 3G, 4G, FTE, as well as all of the inventions built on top of those inventions. So... Big takeaway here is no internet protocol suite, no vent surf, no a gentleman's disagreement podcast. Oh, wow! Exception! Wow, great, great yeah. finish. I great finish. Al Gore invented the internet. I did hear that. <laughs> he did tell me that. Uh, I will say, I, I just looked him up. I've never heard of this guy before in my life. And it says nickname, Father of the Internet. So, <laughs> Pretty badass. Touche. It's touche. Good. Wow, that's. <laughs> It's a great pick, actually. Yeah. <laughs> what a fucking badass. badass. Total badass. <laughs> yeah. Total badass. Fucking yeah, yeah. Invented, the invented the internet. Yeah. Guy just like invented the internet and just like lives in, in, in anonymity. Do <laughs> you think he was bitter about that? Wow. That's, um... All right. Well, that's it. So let's uh, let's run down our teams. So, Joe, why don't you run down who you got, who you're for? Sure. I've got... Vid Surf, Bill Gates, Neil Armstrong, Martin Luther King. Great. All right. Uh, with the second pick, I got 
Uh, Henry Ford, the Wright Brothers, Eleanor Roosevelt, and W.B. Du Bois. Ricky? Uh, oh, here we go. Um, for my four, I had Thomas Edison, Earl Warren, Muhammad Ali, and Betty Friedan. And then I had Oprah, Michael Jordan, William Brennan, George Marshall. Okay. All right, so we'll throw those up on, on Instagram and, and see see what the people think. Um, are there people, honorable mention, that anybody wants to bring up that you were surprised, maybe yeah. weren't selected, or people you were considering that you ultimately just didn't go with for whatever reason? Yeah, so I'm, like, pretty happy with my Mount Rushmore, to be honest. I think, like, the way it's, like, structured. Um, if I could have one mulligan, I'd replace Jordan with Jackie Robinson. Um, I do want to have, like, I want to have, like, an athlete in there. Because just, I mean, like, just yeah. sports in general. I huge mean, that's a huge part of our, you know, our day-to-day. Um, anywhere you are in the U.S. Um, and don't have to go too in-depth, but, you know, he essentially, you know, broke the color barrier in, in baseball, and which had, like, a huge impact on just other sports in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, we're not doing picks right now, but, you know, that, that would have been my, my, my mulligan there. Ricky or Joe, anybody else that you like, weren't mentioned? Yeah, I, I, would, um, I, I have uh, Steve Jobs and Rosa Parks um, as honorable mentions. Um, so, cool. yeah, I so this is this is the pick that I might have made had I not been torched for for Thomas Edison would have been Rockefeller. I know he lived mostly in the 19th century, but. He was at one point considered the richest man in ever, the- ever, <laughs> right? All and time. Was- he had twenty-four billion dollars in like nineteen hundred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So it sounds like I, c- I would have been better off going with him instead of Thomas Edison. But so he was the founder of the Standard Oil Company that was in eighteen seventy. However, if you think about Kelly's picks, the Model T and the Wright brothers, right? So. Standard Oil was big into oil refinement before before like oil refinement was a thing. We were using uh, oil derivatives from coal and like literally whale oil to like light homes. Yeah, and so he, you know, really pioneered a, a process that allowed for cheap kerosene, and then he he owned the whole. Uh, thing. They only like ninety percent of like oil production. So something crazy. That's where yeah. the, all the antitrust stuff came. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So from, from right, and that case was in nineteen eleven. And <laughs> actually, the antitrust stuff is really what led to his massive fortune because he owned all of Standard Oil at the time, but they broke it into thirty four different entities. Each one of which everyone was like, "Well, that's going to be wildly profitable." And it's like Exxon and Chevron, yeah. it's like all the companies that still exist, right? Yeah. And are still some of the yeah. most profitable companies in the world. Um, and he owned massive stakes in them. So, yeah, in, considered the richest American and richest person ever. His net worth in 1913 was 900 million. In 1913, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was three percent of all of U.S. GDP, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is just an yeah. absolutely insane yeah. fortune. Because I think. I think when we say richest American, it was it's more like in in not not just in on an inflation adjusted, but like he had more Relatively purchasing power yeah, than yeah, anybody yeah. else yeah. ever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think if we're gonna we're talking about richest people, you know, Bezos is also when you're thinking about like where where was his impact? Obviously, it's been 21st century, but 
Amazon went public in like the late late 1990s. So, and if you're thinking about like impact, he was also one of like the early investors in Google and none of this research would have come. We could have banged it. Maybe. Or could have asked Jesus. But yeah, like obviously Amazon runs the world right now and that's definitely right, Well, if we do century. a 21st century. Yeah. <laughs> if we're still around next year, we'll do one of those. But I think yeah. you could argue that like his impact in just even the 20th century is like almost could get him on the list. I mean, like, if you're thinking about, like, Bezos' ventures, too, and, like, in terms of, like, the investments that he made there as well, huge impact. I mean, like... You should save this for, like, next time. All right, let me run through. I got a bunch. You you guys can comment on any or none of them. Jonas Salk, uh, polio vaccine, Walt Disney. Yeah, Disney was on on my list. Yeah, J. Edgar Hoover, um, Oppenheimer... Um, I was thinking uh, Oppenheimer. Pretty much developed the atom Especially when Joe was talking about... Um, Yeah. Elvis Presley, mm-hmm. uh, James Watson was the double helix for the DNA. He stole uh, that from Rosalind Franklin, but go on. Sure, but he published the paper. So um, Margaret Sanger, leader of the birth control movement. Mm-hmm. Um, John Dewey, Dewey Decimal System, but like was a pioneer in education. Uh, Ralph Nader, actually, like, interesting way, pick. Yeah. Ralph Nader, way more like uh, impressive and influential than I really knew. <laughs> I thought he was just kind of like that screwy kind of third party crazy guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, actually, super <laughs> impressive. People should go look him up. Ellen Dulles, founding CIA director, um, was responsible for the Iranian coup, the Guatemalan coup, the Bay of Pigs invasion. So, uh, influential guy. (laughs) For worse. But, uh, (laughs) Albert Einstein. Uh, But German, though. But American. Later in his life, he became an American citizen. citizen. So, I I, I disqualified him for that exact reason. But, like, he did become an American citizen. Yeah. So, like, he was American. And, obviously... Speaks for himself. Milton Friedman, economist, my guy. And then Billy Graham, evangelist. Um, council of Presidents. Billy Graham who? Billy Graham, the evangelist, like the televangelist. Council. Which one is that? Oh, he was like the guy. And so he counseled presidents from Lyndon Johnson to Obama. Huh. He was like their spiritual advisor for hmm. like 60 years, whatever. Okay. And, but I mean, yeah. I, I just think like the scope of this was so big that... You know, unless you're like picking like Michael Jordan or someone, like you, you can't go wrong with like someone. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. All right. I just had a, a few final comments. Um, there were some themes I definitely noticed uh, in my research, and um, this is definitely through the lens of the candidates I was considering. But uh, I have, a, I guess, three or four uh, points here. The first of which is kind of the role of luck in. Um, whether an American American is considered influential or important. So, for instance, there's a certain degree of like right place, right time to to some of these people on the list, especially mine. So, like for instance, for every you know influential person to remember, there's usually like a, two, a number two or a number three kind of in the wings that very easily could have been the number one given slightly different circumstances. So, for instance. Jackie Robinson was not the first African-American baseball player. He was actually the second. Um, so I won't go deeply into these, into these um, comments, but I'll just bring them up. It's so like Neil Armstrong was one of two people who landed on the moon. He very easily could have been the second out of that um, moon lander. Like Rosa Parks was not the first woman to refuse to give up her seat to a white person. She was actually the second. Um, so there's, to a degree, like a certain amount of luck involved in who's remembered decades later for the, you know, certain achievements in history. Um, any comments there? 
No, it's a philosophical point about mm-hmm. history in general, like about who writes history and how it gets written. But I think, yeah, luck, luck in general like, is probably a way underrated factor. It's like there are tons of... all that doesn't take anything away from the people that we mentioned. No, not at all. But it just means that there are other people that were equally as capable or as brave or as smart um, that could have served in that same identical capacity. Right. So this is related to that first point, but... It's interesting to consider kind of the inevitability of certain achievements, especially technological and even sometimes um, in the civil rights realm. So I feel like this is definitely easier to say in hindsight. For instance, like um, Martin Luther King's achievements, it's easy to say, of course, you know, of course, those those landmark um, that landmark legislation would have gone through. But in the 1960s, that wasn't I'm sure wasn't a guarantee. Um, for you know everyone involved in the movement, so you know it's it's interesting to consider you know like for instance, I guess on the technological front, you know if the Wright brothers hadn't been the first to um, to achieve, I guess it was called heavier than light um, flight, mm-hmm. like. Definitely someone else would have, right? So, like, the automobile, the airplane, like, those achievements, I feel like if the Red Brothers had never existed, someone else would have um, achieved flight. So, that's kind of something interesting to consider. I think you could argue that about literally every single thing, right? Like, is like is there really someone that's such a pioneer that came up with something that no one else possibly could have conceived of I don't know. Uh, so so I, I think that's it Jordan can everyone jump like Jordan <laughs> has, there, has there been anybody who can can do that not not how I you asked you asked you asked I'm go with that argument but I, I think it's I think the point definitely stands with the Wright brothers insofar as you just had like a ton of uh chatter around like who should be granted the patent on this on like the plane and like what did they actually invent and i i think they're for inventors there's always that because science and technological progress seems to move in that way because we can kind of always build on what was there before but the the social movements i think are a little bit different like I think what Martin Luther King was able to do was something like the March on Washington, getting 300,000 people there and just deliver a speech like that in 1963. I, I, I think you can envision a very different world or, yeah, a world in which that doesn't happen or even what we were talking about between Du Bois and Booker T. Washington. Like, if Du Bois becomes the less influential of the two of them, I think you can see things just evolving in a different way. And especially when it comes to this, like, you know, seismic social change, I don't, I don't think there's anything like given about it, despite how in, in today's world, it seems obvious. It seems like the natural way. And I think you can think about too, like a lot of the movements that we've seen today, they're so devoid of like an actual spokesperson who's eloquent and kind of captures people's imagination that there is, you know, the, like e- even within something like black lives matter, right? There's, you don't, you don't have a name that you can point to and say, this is the person that's kind of guiding the direction. And, 
And we saw even in Martin Luther King's day how many different voices there were back then. And so you can only imagine when nobody is being sort of anointed by the public as the, the main person, what kinds of things are going on in an organization like that. And that's, you know, not to pick on Black Lives Matter, but to, to just throw an, an example out there. Another point here, it was, I found interesting to consider, you know, do you, the people who made this list, or many of them, you know, I guess, do, do consequential Americans ever truly achieve anything by themselves? So for instance, like, I think the, the answer to that is no. I think mean, the one quote I have here is Edison, Ford, and countless innovators are recognized as sole inventors for convenience. The histories we know depart from the truth for the simple reason that it makes them easier to remember. Um, so, you know, for certain inventions or achievements, there's usually like a go-to name or a few names, but there's so many other people involved in these achievements. But, you know, it's easier, like the quote says, out of, out of, this, out of convenience, just remember one name. Um, I think... You know, of course, it does a disservice to, you know, the people who all the people who are involved. But, you know, it's I understand why that's the case. Um, and then just my last little bit here, I noticed that there for people who achieve, who have great achievements or are people of consequence, there are sometimes well consequences for being important people. So, for instance, um. So Martin Luther King has a, a quote like, we are not makers of history, we are made by history. So like people who are recognized as being consequential often were never in search of a life of consequence. They just kind of happen to be that person, right? Like I don't think MLK, you know, he, I feel like he was led by a moral compass. He wanted equality for all. Um, I don't think he was necessarily looking to be the guy. I think he kind of just wound up being in that role. He embraced it and um, you know, he, he used that to his advantage, but, um, you know, like Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, um, you know, one of my picks was Neil Armstrong. Neil Armstrong was just doing his job. He was a humble guy. He was, he was selected to be the guy, um, to step on the moon first. He didn't lobby for that position. He, he was just given it, right? When you, when you picked him, I actually, uh, my initial shock was that I thought you were picking Lance Armstrong. Oh, no. When I hear Armstrong, that's what I associate with. <laughs> I was a little shocked yeah. by that. No relation. Same lesson, no relation. Um, so, just a couple more points here. So, some people of consequence have to make sacrifices. So like Rosa Parks, you know, she struggled to find work after the Montgomery bus boycott. She had to move from Montgomery to Detroit. Um, MLK was assassinated. Um, Neil Armstrong, once he returned from the moon, achieved an incredible amount of celebrity. He was a very humble reserved guy he did he wasn't looking for that celebrity so it's kind of a kind of a huge um culture shock for him um yeah and i guess i guess i'll just i'll, I'll leave it there i just think it's it's funny ricky sometimes you and i were like man we get like so philosophical sometimes <laughs> and we're like oh why are we like this and then like Joe comes in and he's just like, ah, uh, you think you're philosophical? <laughs> like, I'm gonna make you question everything you know about history right now. Yeah. yeah. Powerful, powerful words, Joe. We appreciate it. Love you guys. Thanks for doing this. See ya. We stay up all night on Garner Avenue 
Debating all the issues of the day No agenda, not yet Talking heads Running around till we forget where it was We began Some mornings you were away Some morning left your ego bruised But what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head folks of different minds because even though we did not share the pains we share on that American ideal friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz need an early morning buzz learn the hard way but to those who would die upon that hill quiet truth is better Somewhere along the line We seem to have forgotten The value sometimes being wrong Some mornings you away Some morning let your ego bruise But what I wouldn't give For the hope I used to find In a case of lion's head And folks of different minds Because Though we didn't share opinions, we share an American ideal. Friends made all the arguments in an early morning bus. I need an early morning bus. There's hope behind the bluster, because though Main Street may not sell, it's full of folks just like you and me. When we have trouble seeing, the human for the politics It's trying to find a better way to disagree Some days you win Some days you leave your ego through But what I wouldn't give for Hope I used to find And change the lion's head and folks with different minds Because though we did not share Opinions we share on that American ideal Friends made over arguments And an early morning buzz What I wouldn't give for The hope I used to find In a case of lion's head Folks are different minds Because though we did not Share opinions we share that American ideal Friends made over arguments And an early morning buzz Need an early morning bird.